Oh, it's it, it is it's definitely better in stereo. I'm not gonna lie. Those are the sounds of an Arizona grape aid here in New York City. Uh, I'm Jesse from the internet. And an Arizona iced tea with lemon flavor here in Washington, D.C. I'm Addie. The, the iced tea with lemon is like the, the OG undefeated for a reason. I mean, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Like, it's, it's so good. It was the last one at the 7-Eleven. And I said, thank you, universe. Right, this is a sign. <laughs> uh, Britt is also here from the internet. Britt, how are you doing today? I'm good. I have, I have coffee because I've been awake for all of like 30, maybe 40 minutes. <laughs> Happy birthday, Britt. Thank you. How yeah, was it? Um, it was it was very low-key, which was great. My... My dad's birthday is the same day as mine. So we went to see, um, we, you know, had a little family day. My dad took the day off too. And my mom had, my mom's retiring in June. So she's been taking all kinds of time off because fuck it. Which okay, I, love. That's the my, ultimate, you know, like. I respect you know, that immensely. <laughs> when you're like a senior in high school and you've already been accepted to college and your yep, life is yep. just like. Yeah, like I, I've never been. That's a, that's a, that's an. That, like I strive to live with that kind of fuck it attitude, and that seems like the ultimate, the ultimate time for that is when you're about to retire. Right, <laughs> it, is, it is. It is like senioritis to the nth degree. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but so we went, we went to lunch, went to the movies, and it was funny because they're doing a or did, I think they probably were only doing it like Monday, Tuesday, but they did um, a 30th anniversary showing of Nightmare Before Christmas. Cute. So we went to that and it was sort of fitting because I realized like after I had suggested it as like, yeah, there's not really other movies that sort of we would all want to sit through. Um, after I suggested it, I realized that I had in fact gone to see the same, like that movie for my birthday when it came out originally so i was like oh this is very oh like, so sweet Aww. coming full circle i love it that is yeah. awesome and it that movie does still slap on the big screen for the record like mm-hmm. i haven't seen it on the big it. screen in 30 years obviously but it's still it, it holds up it still goes pretty hard yeah i totally believe that i would like to keep us on a on a sweet tip to start our show today as it were uh this is from uol which is a brazilian website so the story is uh google translated from portuguese which uh to me makes it 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 reads almost sweeter because of that i think um (laughs) it is by julian cesaroli uh in brazil leading up to the uh, brazilian gp news report Senna fan and interlagos addict Leclerc seeks to change writing in Brazil. At first glance, Monegasque pilot Charles Leclerc and Brazil don't have much to do with it. But it's not quite like that. The Ferrarista may not have very expressive results in Sao Paulo. Perhaps his best weekend was the first when he was seventh of Alfa Romeo and comes from a very different country. But he is one of the pilots who most like to come to the country. There are several reasons, starting with the circuit. Quote, 
It's something I can't explain why, but when I was young, I always chose to run in Interlagos on PlayStation when I played with my brothers. I love the fluidity <laughs> of the circuit. He's so freaking sweet. Uh, Leclerc also <laughs> That's said, also such a, like, early 20s answer. Yeah, I used to play on a PlayStation with my brother. Like, that's perfect. Yeah. Leclerc always said he also always said he was a fan of Ayrton Senna. He was born almost three and a half years after the three-time champion passed away, but he saw all the recordings of his races, encouraged by his father, a big fan of the driver who, to this day, is the record holder of victories in Monaco. And <sighs> <laughs> it's it's just it's. It's so sweet, but just the like the crushing emo of it all for Charles to Dude. be like, yeah, I really love this driver who dri- who died tragically before I was born. Like, buddy, Dude. buddy. Dude. <laughs> I've been learning I'm a little blessed. bit about. I've been learning a little bit about Senna recently, and it's such. I mean, I'm so, so moved by it. And it really yeah. makes me wish that, you know, I'm, I'm only a couple years older than Charles. I was not born when he was doing his thing. But I really wish I could have seen that. And, you know, the, the story is so heartbreaking and beautiful. And, um, you know, I, I recently learned about his spirituality, Senna's spirituality and his connection to God. And I think it was after the Monaco race that he like came from the back and pulled off this incredible victory, which there is, which is um, right. That's like almost uh, impossible in Monaco. In Monaco. Monaco. And I watched this amazing onboard video of him in Monaco. And it's unreal. First of all, like they have the actual they have to take their hands off the wheel to actually drive the car like to adjust the i'm like literally so stupid about actual cars that i can't even think of the word i'm supposed to think of right now um but it's terrifying there's no halo he is just like taking a hand off the wheel barreling through monaco and i believe it was this this race that he ends up miraculously winning in Monaco where he said like he saw God like he had an experience of oneness with God in this race car and you know that he also really carried there was the uh, another young driver who was killed the day before he died and they ran the fucking race anyway the next day and I was learning you know about how Senna really carried that with him that he was so he had already kind of been in a dark place about the sport and that this this death of this young driver who idolized Senna um really was not sitting well with him he was not in a good place when he went out and he drove that last race and ultimately dies and I'm just like I'm so this story is so heartbreaking and so beautiful to me and when you sent that article Jesse and then uh Charles been posting about this about being at the Senna Foundation and he's like my Charles says my one and only idol I mean that like wow that's pretty intense 
like you you're in your early 20s or you're in your like early mid-20s and you drive her ferrari and senna is your one and only idol and it does make like, sense like the other you know the other <laughs> Michael Schumacher is right there, which, by the way, like another sort of like heavy story in a lot of ways, especially now. But it's like, you you know, it would be like, yeah, of of course, you know, Um, you know, and and then, of course, there's that. I, I but it makes perfect sense. Right. Like Charles is, you know, there's that like iconic quote. Um, of, of Senna's that gets brought up all the time. If you no longer go for a gap that exists, you are no longer a racing driver. No. Like, that's Charles. Like, that's how Charles drives. It's how he lives. It's like, he's gonna go for the fucking gap every time. And, uh, you know, it's so, I'm like, yeah, of course he's your man. It's like, it's beautiful. And it's so, with everything with Charles, it's like, literally almost too much to hold. I'm like, I can't be in this place with you bud well and the the interesting thing right is i wonder because it certainly seems from the outside like obviously i have no way of knowing but it certainly seems from the outside that like just his choices and also the things that have happened to him he seems like he is just way more aware of his mortality than most drivers are there's an, yeah. there's an attitude with most of them of like there there's this sort of necessary obviously like bulletproof attitude around most of them like you can't think about the fact that you could die at any moment and do that effectively right like you just you have to put that out of your head and just not ever acknowledge <laughs> that reality or it would make you crazy but charles is out here like his favorite driver, Ooh. his one idol, like died tragically, in in what is, you know, arguably a preventative act, preventable accident and like really tragic. His godfather dies again in a in a preventable, horrifying accident. Uh, well, and you know, he's he's even... there when Antoine Hubert dies, who Pierre oh, was so close right. with, like who's Charles's best friend, you know that they, that like, that's something that he's held with him in a deep way. Well, right. Like the, there's a moment. And I think this was in one of the drive to survive. I think this was in the drive to survive episode about spa that year. Um, Cause that was the year that Pierre won. And there's a moment with Charles and Pierre right after the race that is like heartbreaking. Mm. Like, like Charles is so aware or, you know, seems so aware of like the gravity of that, of like nobody expected Pierre to race really well. Um, and like this sort of miraculous thing or like, I, you just, again, like, I don't, you know, I don't know the guy. It's entirely possible that I'm wrong, but there's just, I just get the sense that he sort of is just very aware of the gravity of all of it. Yeah, in a, in a way that a lot of drivers, I don't think, are. Well, and I think it's also, you know, obviously his his father didn't die in a in a race car accident, <laughs> right? But, but he was anyone young tells, when his father died. Yeah, right. Anytime anyone tells the story of Charles Leclerc, a big part of it is that his dad dies. He's in Formula Two, and two days later, he goes out and he wins this Formula Two race in like pretty right. miraculous fashion. Right. And 
you know, it's very, like, his background is also interesting. He obviously grew up with money, but it wasn't, like, Carlos Sainz money. Um, he had a, you know, No, like, yeah, he, uh, he, his upbringing was fairly middle class. Yeah, um, and, I think. and, I mean, at one point they even made Arthur stop, his younger brother, stop carding for two years to put all right. the money toward Charles's career what were you gonna say jesse i think that the their class is kind of reflected both in in this story that we're going through um and the picture of charles like signing autographs and stuff in brazil and then the fairly cringe carlos video that i saw this week where he was like well to me a proper fan is one who comes to the race and spends their money and oh my uh, god right like yeah. Well, like, I guess it's actually. Much... Oh, that's go, who I would go. Be I, say, I feel like that's very much the uh, the words of the child of a well, relatively well known driver. That like, yeah. he he grew up with people like wanting a piece of his dad that way, and like developed de- developed some some bitterness, perhaps. It well, and yeah. it reminds me a lot of. Barry Bonds' relationship with the media, too, even before there was any, you know, scandal or anything. Um, he had watched the way the media treated his dad and had a chip on his shoulder from the word go because he saw the way they had treated his dad and hated it. Now, you know, Carlos is being a little bit of a bitch about it, and I think. Barry Bunce in that regard was justified <laughs> that the you know at at that stage he had a point whereas I think well, Carlos yeah. probably being a little bit of a bitch but you know I think well I think it's so I it's so interesting that you bring this up Jesse because I was just about to kind of say something similar that it's like Carlos Obviously, like I've been on record hard on this podcast and I won't take a word of it back of like standing for him, you know, like ultimately on on kind of like this surface level, Carlos is really fun to cheer for. Like he's hot. He's like, you know, he's He's very charming and funny. Charming. He's he's like a very pure himbo. Like he is he is sort of this like quintessential Ferrari driver in a certain way that that's really fun and enjoyable and and I was gonna say you know but the thing like I saw a cringe video of him recently Jesse and I was curious if this is what you were gonna cite of him and Carlos Sainz Sr. both in Real Madrid jerseys which just like wearing the Real Madrid jerseys like kind of whatever like panning across them and I've, I've said in the podcast before, my boyfriend is a huge Barcelona fan, and um, I have really fallen in love with, more than anything, the absolute blood feud of, like, Antifa versus pure fascism that plays oh. out in Barca versus Real Madrid. And I yeah. have in really invested in this sense that it's, like, Madrid fans 
are it's it's like different than kind of almost any other experience of sports fandom I've had where it's like no Madrid fans are fascists like and they literally <laughs> are like they're actually you know like I I will go hard in the paint for this one and it, it it was not surprising at all to me obviously Carlos is from Madrid and if you really start to look under the, you know under the hood so to speak his family straight up has like connections in Spain to like fascist leaders. Yeah, I can't say that's surprising. <laughs> right. It's like it's like yep, like you know, and and maybe it's the season change. But I as as we've gone from the light, hot, sexy days of summer into the <laughs> cold, dark edge of winter, Carlos is doing less and less for me. I am really like it's 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 Charles where the depth is. Like it's Charles where there's a personality and a heart and like a real sense of his like you're saying, but like his mortality. It's like very it's so beautiful and it's so like I literally feel well, maybe here's a crazy transition. Um, I feel very similarly about something that happened last night, which is Jacob deGrom in a heartbreaking fashion that he didn't even get to participate in is a World Series champion. That, that is technically true. <laughs> and it, it hurts. It hurts. I'm not going to lie. It hurts a little. Everything about it is weird. Like, on, the, on one... We all made fun of him for being like, I want to go to, I want to go to Texas. I want to go to a place that will win. We were all like, fuck you, dude. Why are you going to the Rangers for that? Right. And then Bruce Bochy walks in and he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And then, of course. Yeah. Wait, what was that, Jesse? I just, I just invoked Max Scherzer's name, but please continue. (laughs) Well, I mean, we'll get there. We'll certainly get there, won't we? I mean, so there's that, where it's like, once again, I'm like, I don't know what level Jacob deGrom exists on, but, like, it's not our 3D human reality. There's also, I mean, the fact that he was not a part of this, um, which I think is an interesting question for a conversation the three of us have had before, which is, like, what is Jacob deGrom's legacy? Does does him being on a team? Does him being injured on a team that win the world that wins the World Series bolster his Hall of Fame claim? No, not at all. Not at all. No, because it's not even like if he had gotten hurt in September or August even, and had like pitched really well, and then just happened to get hurt at the end of the season, so he couldn't pitch in the postseason, but he like meaningfully contributed to the team for a significant part of the season. Then okay, but he he missed basically the entire year. Like, he However, didn't meaningfully contribute to that team really at all. He pitched He pitched six games, and he pitched well. I can't believe it was six fucking games. That's what I mean. But, like, he, he basically okay. didn't exist. Right. They didn't make the playoffs by much. You can say that, like, his performance <laughs> early in the season is part of the margin that gets them into the playoffs. And I will say this. Him getting hurt early in the season instead of, you know, after the trade deadline, during the stretch run, even into the playoffs, 
is part of the reason that you know they go out and get Max Scherzer. Part of the reason right. that Which, they... But that doesn't bolster DeGrom's reputation or his Hall of no. Fame. He conveniently got hurt at the better time. Like, <laughs> it worked out I in the mean... Raiders' favor. The thing that just kills me is that it's like the most Jacob DeGrom possible way to win a World Series. Like, pitch it, it, six it. beautiful games, be dead for the rest of the year have that like align fate in such a fashion that you get max scherzer from the team you came from and then you go on and win a world series like it's just it's it's so it's so it's so jacob de grom it's so jacob de grom it's so jacob de grom i will say also just credit where it's due um Jordan Montgomery ended up being a much better pickup than Max Scherzer. So shout out to Jordan Montgomery, <laughs> who oh, I yeah. have always loved and remain remain angry that fucking Brian Cashman was like, oh, we don't foresee him making our postseason rotation. Like, God, eat shit, Brian. Yeah, no need for Corey Seager either. Yeah, yeah no, but... this is, we're, we're fine, probably. <laughs> Corey Seager's not even like the most egregious, like, miss it's just whatever. but i'm very happy for jordan montgomery um great and I'm world very happy series for Native New York games, uh being pissed off at the people who run them yeah it's uh great, great postseason overall in fact um, you know i would have to agree i think Wheeler it was, the Phillies. I, it was okay. a good postseason overall it was a good postseason overall but i do have to ask a question because i have to find out my best friend has already told me that I am being a hater about this. So I have to get a broader opinion. What are what are our feelings on the Diamondbacks? <laughs> okay, I wanted the Diamondbacks to win for one simple reason. I have a close family friend who's a huge, lives in Arizona. Their whole family is humongous Diamondback fans. Their son is a college baseball player. It's his, abs, it's his life. Um, and I wanted it for them. Like, I was really totally in on the Diamondbacks winning because I was just like, I, I, they deserve it, you know? They were unfortunately there last night, which kills oh, me. Oh, no. <laughs> I, like, can't See, think too much about it. It's so that, sad. <laughs> that, is, that is my nightmare of getting playoff tickets, of, of going 100%. to a game and having it just be, like, a nightmare. Jesse and I have never experienced that together. Oh, yeah, no, you have you have you have no frame yeah. of reference for what that's like. I can't, I can't imagine. But and, here's what I will say, uh, Britt. The last game I was at was the Las Vegas Aces celebrating on the floor. Oh God, the- oh, Jesse. Jesse, maybe maybe we shouldn't send you to postseason games anymore yeah. for a while. <laughs> um, but what I will say about the Diamondbacks is, I think that they are such an unbelievably forgettable team. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm like, I, I'm like, I've watched them play all season. They're in the division of the team that I, one of the two teams that I watch the most. I have no opinion about them. Like, I have, I have no feeling about them whatsoever. I could not tell. I by next week, I couldn't tell you more than three people on that roster. I don't. I, could, I like. I said that while watching them at one point. I was like, the only Diamondback I know I can name is Tommy Pham. <laughs> <laughs> right and and correspondingly in in a week to two weeks i will not remember that tommy fam ended up on the diamondbacks like 100 <laughs> percent. i 
forgot between at bats that Evan Longoria was still in the league and on the Diamondback. <laughs> right. World Series, and I oh didn't think God. I don't think I saw Evan Longoria once. Like just and and look, I as a Giants fan, I can't really talk too much shit because that that team won some rings with uh, remembering a lot of guys. Like that was, that was it, it was it was Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner and Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt and then like you want to remember some guys just like pick your poison like wasn't every, there that guy um what's his name Hunter it's Travis Ishikawa yeah some dude named Hunter <laughs> yeah Hunter Pence I, Hunter Pence yes I should give Hunter Pence more credit because he actually had some he uh, was a deeply, big part of that, yeah. some intensely iconic moments um. It was it was really Buster and Hunter's team for a while there. Yeah. yeah like Cody Ross, who nobody nobody but Giants that? fans. Right. Nobody but Giants fans remember who Cody Ross is. Well, and probably Phillies fans. Like yeah. that was that was okay. the whole ethos of that team for a while. This is like and, two and weeks speak- old now. Oh, go ahead, Jesse. Oh, I was just gonna say, speaking of just doing it with some guys, um, we must shout out our beloved Travis Jankowski. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's God. actually no Name's there's the actually guy that came in. Yeah. No one I'm happier for. Just I, like, beautiful. That is, that is such a and that is such a like terrible situation to be put into. <laughs> I'm like, hey, suddenly we have to count on you and like this incredibly important dude is out and oh by the way the World Series is on the line. Like it's fine. You'll be okay. Go get him, Tiger. Like, <laughs> no, I'm so like I'm so happy for him. Remember when? Remember the like amazing moment on the Mets when he was like, "No one's ever gonna buy my jersey." Like I'm just out here to do the work. Like oh, I'm so happy for him. I want to buy his jersey. That is the thing. Yeah, the that, is, that is the thing. That is... After that, that was like such the that was a vibes defining moment for that team. That it was, was like one hundred percent was. Because I was gonna say that is the exact thing that if somebody on a team I rooted for said that, I would be purchasing their jersey as they were finishing the sentence. Oh like, yeah, it, it was it was everything. It was, it was so, so beautiful. Really, like, <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of. Um, Tommy Pham said, and I'm curious what you guys think of this. I think, like, Tommy Pham says a lot of shit, and sometimes he's really right. And I think this is one of those cases. Um, he said, there's no doubt that the Mets were a better team than the Diamondbacks. Oh, they just didn't want it enough. And if anyone in the Mets clubhouse doesn't know what I'm talking about, they need to take a long look at themselves. I mean, to an extent, that is more or less what Adam Adovino said. Like, yeah, like not in, I mean, not in those exact words, but like that—that's—that's that's the general gist of his comments too. That like, like that's on us. Like, we should have done better, and we need to look at it. And we need to figure out like why we couldn't make ourselves do what we know we can do. I mean, I. Like, I'm like, what the hell happened in that clubhouse this year? Like, you know, we've talked about, I, 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 I had um, a friend who made the point, like, you know, obviously the Wilpons fucking sucked. 
But in some ways, because of the Wilpons media strategy of how they would tell the New York Post everything that happened in the clubhouse, at least we knew how dysfunctional it was. Right. And under the Steve Cohen regime, there's so much more tightly, it's, it's clearly um, a more, t- just like a tighter run ship in a way where I do wonder now, like how much of the story we're actually getting and how much we actually understand. And this is something my friend said to me like a year ago that I think has become increasingly true. Like we never really found out the whole story of what the hell happened with Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor and the raccoon, quote unquote, that they <laughs> saw. Raccoon. Oh my God. Yeah. When clearly they were, there was clearly something really not working for them at second right. and short. And then they, you know, we never really found out what happened there. And I feel like from Ottavino's comments, from Tommy Pham's comments, from Max Scherzer's comments, from what we've seen bubble up clearly there has been there was some shit in that clubhouse that like we don't really understand well and the interesting thing that i was just going to say before you started this i'm glad i'm glad we were on the same page um it is such an interesting contrast between the mets and the padres because the mets and the padres had basically the same season right like they should have been good and they just weren't (laughs) and it is somewhat of a mystery as to why. Like, it's well, not like it was they... the M Stone game. I think they got the, she got the Padres too in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah she's, her, her powers are very strong. Yeah. But like, just running roughshod over the National League. Yeah, right. But so, but so the interesting thing is there. Everybody knows everything about what the fuck happened with the Padres. Like everybody knows that Bob Melvin and AJ Preller hated each other, and AJ Preller hired some dude from a uh, rugby team to be a spy and like everybody knows about all of the mess of, of the Padres and the Padres have obviously uh, let their manager grow thanks for that guys uh, and cor- right by contrast we we really don't know shit about shit about the Mets other than those handful of quotes that were in I can't remember what article it was but the handful of quotes uh, <clears throat> that were basically people that, being like yeah we, we should have we collapsed under our own weight and we have to figure out why. But like, no, nothing meaningful. We've gotten no, uh, yeah, no leaks to the post. No, nothing. Um, well, and I mean, the closest we've gotten, Jesse, maybe this is kind of what you were going to note too, or I'm not curious for your thoughts, was the like shock Billy Epler resignation, where it's like mm. this, in, this like investigation that I've seen absolutely no updates on about his use of the injured list. Yeah, I to- I literally forgot about that yeah. because it was like a headline and then disappeared. That that wasn't what I was thinking of. I was thinking of like who we haven't discussed, which is you know, one of the things that came out, and I will defend Pete Alonso to whatever. You know, not to the death because, you know, ultimately I value my life more than a silly sports argument. But Good, good. There there were those really stupid reports about like Pete Alonso is toxic in the clubhouse. Um, and while that's talk radio nonsense, 
at the same time, it is an indication that there's somebody who's got beef with Pete Alonso and is putting it in the media. Right. Some, somebody yeah. got that to somebody somehow. Yeah. And I do think it's an interesting point, though, too, about Pete Alonso that one of the things you have to sort of remember is that there is a difference between being a really good player and being like a clubhouse leader or like having the right sort of personality or energy for that. And that's like not a knock on any individual player. Like, yeah. that's just a personality thing. Like, some people are good at that, some people aren't. And, um, you know, and even Buster Hosey had said that, like, he, like, it, he felt like the reason why those teams, when they were really successful, were successful is that it wasn't just him because he's pretty quiet. He's very much a, like, lead by example, like, don't embarrass me in front of Buster Hosey, like, guy. He's not a rock. There's your Hunter Pence. That's exactly, he was like, he was like, Hunter was unbelievably important because we sort of, worked off of each other and we we sort of filled different holes and depending on what the situation was depending on what happened like one or the other of us could step in in whatever way was sort of appropriate and that i think that's really telling that like i think to this is such a like intangibles bullshit kind of argument but i i do think when you look at teams that like should be much better on paper and they just sort of don't materialize for some reason I think sometimes that is what it is. It's it's just a vibes thing. And if you don't have the right mix of people who can sort of be like the moral and like emotional center of the clubhouse, that it can sort of get fragmented and you don't sort of get everything out of everybody. And it just sort of doesn't work the same way. And we know what role Edwin Diaz had on the team and like, you saw where that precipitated right. itself on field that the rest of the bullpen had to step up and eventually it all fell apart. I don't know what his role is in the clubhouse. I do know that, you know, it was something that we talked about early in the season when he was struggling on the field, Francisco Lindor having, you know, another, uh, he didn't have the baby, but Katya did. Um, but he's clearly a guy who takes his family very seriously and talked even about, you know, in how much his daughter loved Buck Showalter. Um, and I wonder just like having another kid, having the chaos of that, this is still a game played by human beings. You know, could it just be that like this past year, he was a little bit disengaged in a way that, is not going to happen every year and that you don't really have to necessarily be worried about, but that like also messed up the vibes of this year that like, I, yeah, I think that's absolutely. Francisco Lindor has got family stuff. Pete Alonso is hiring Scott Boris as his agent and, you know, has his mind on stuff too. Once things start to to spin out of control, it's really tough to get it back. Well, and I think that's how it spirals, too, that you've got people who have to sort of start thinking about their own careers and their own sort of livelihoods and what's best for them. When you start to sort of see it spiral out of control, where you're like, oh, shit, maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Do I need to think about going someplace else? Am I going to get traded? Do I need to think about where that might be? Like that then sort of becomes a or can become at least a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because and it's not anybody's yeah. fault at that point because like yeah it's a business nobody else is going to look out for you so 
So when you see the writing on the wall, that that's kind of where things are going. Absolutely. You have to start thinking about your own, you know, what's best for you and your family and your career. Um, and honestly, is, that starts you know, all the way back with, with DeGrom leaving for Texas. Jesse, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think that, I think that this, like, we joke as Mets fans, you know, season's over. You know, they, lose, they lose the first game where season's over. But the season felt over when DeGrom left. Like, it felt like the collapse of the thing that this team was supposed to be is personified, at least for me, was personified by Jacob DeGrom in so many ways. And I would say, the la- you know, when I, when I talk to John DeMarsico, he talks about how for him, DeGrom and Diaz were the main characters of the baseball movie that he was making every night. And you could see that in the broadcast and you could feel that in the team. And I was thinking about how, um, oh my God, I feel like I'm gonna cry, like, think, like thinking about this. I'm like actually feeling really emotional. I was thinking about the peak of that DeGrom experience when he had won the back-to-back Cy Youngs he kept getting better and the way there was a time uh, you guys probably remember when Mets fans would bow to him as he went into the dugout at the end of his starts literally like packed stadium on a Wednesday fucking night everyone on their feet bowing to Jacob deGrom. And I remember I, I was working at BuzzFeed at the time and I had this fantastic editor, Tom Namako. I don't know, probably not listening to this, but he's a great guy, um, who said to me, he, he um, is a Phillies fan. And he said to me, I went to this, this Mets game. I hate the Mets, dude. But the way that the fans react to Jacob deGrom, I've never seen anything like it. It's amazing. And so that, I, was, like, that feeling was gone from the start. And then when I was able to hold on, and then we were literally recording when Diaz got hurt from fucking celebrating in the World Baseball Classic. Like, it was over. It was oh, The vibes were dead. Yep. Well, and it's, and it's interesting because there is this sort of... <laughs> I think this is, this is the very, like... Uh, to, to circle all the way back to understanding your own mortality, there are, there are some, mostly pitchers, I'll be honest, there are some pitchers who uh, it's just like, not here for a long time, here for a good time. And then you're just <laughs> like, I'm going to get one shot at this. And you're going to catch lightning in a bottle or not, because uh, baseball is a little bitch. And... Uh, pitchers are asking their bodies to do something that is physically essentially impossible and that their arm's going to fall off at a certain point. And it's like, it's just not going to be sustainable. And I say that as, it's funny when you talk about like the fans bowing to stuff, it's a very like, it reminds me of Tim Lincecum at his peak that like his starts were an event. Like it was Timmy day. Yeah. Like it was yeah. a oh whole my God. thing. Grom day, Grom right, day, right? Like it was, it was a whole thing. Like your week revolved around that. And similarly, interestingly, I think sort of with both of them, they were sort of like the front end of what you hoped was going to be like a really good stretch. Like they got there a little ahead of the curve. Yeah. Um, and just. Yeah. 
again, like you just, you're asking for your, your body to do a lot and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I, I still want it for DeGrom so bad. Like I want to see him pitch. I want to see him pitch a fucking perfect game in the World Series and win it all for the goddamn New York Mets, baby. I'm never going to stop wanting it. <laughs> Which, by the way, the Diamondbacks had seven fucking no-hit innings last night before they lost the World Series. Baseball yeah, is cruel, man. I, I'm going to repeat what I said last night, which is you cannot out-giants Bruce Bochy. <laughs> you cannot out-bullshit him. He invented that bullshit. You cannot out-bullshit him. And the Diamondbacks found that out. Because nobody else... It, getting no hit for the majority of the game and then blowing it open is the most Bruce Bochy managed team shit I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Like... The, the Giants avoided getting eliminated in the NLDS against the Reds, who had not lost ever, essentially, at home that season. They got no hit. Same thing. They got no hit for, yeah, I think it was like six or seven innings. It was a scoreless game. Fucking, it just, they were, they were on a knife's edge the entire game. And they won, and then they blew it open the next day. And so it's just like, I'm sorry. Like, you look look at who's in the other dugout. You're not going to, that's not going to work against him. He, he is going to voodoo magic, whatever, and find and a is way. There, <laughs> is there a more Jacob deGrom thing than having your ace on the mound and your team getting no hit for seven innings? Yeah, that oh is also. Oh, like, my God. It's yeah. so real. Like Nate Evoli so transforms into Jacob Degrom in the playoffs. Apparently, <laughs> well, that's what happens. Uh. Well, I will say I'm having, um, I'm having the but the day after World Series ends feeling. You know what I mean? Where yeah. you're like, well, it's just a little like. What'd you say? It also got cold like that. It got cold like that. Yeah. Yes, I think that's a huge part of it, is it's suddenly freezing on the East Coast after literally being 80, 90 degrees last week. No, and it's it's so funny, because here the weather turned, like, right at the beginning of the playoffs, and it was like, oh, okay, it's fall, apparently. What the hell? It's fall. <laughs> like it, it went from being, like, 85, 90, like, ridiculous shit, to it's, like, you know in the 40s at night now and shit which is cold for here like <laughs> well and it's like uh, the, the thing that happens to me after the world series is is that you know the playoffs were fun i watched some of it i didn't you know i was always kind of pulling for somebody but didn't really care um and then it ends and i'm like you know it, you're left to face the winter alone. It's like, damn, I didn't even realize that just the idea of baseball on TV, that I could that I could turn on at any time, it's gone. It's totally gone. And then, you know, this is my first year as a really dedicated F1 fan. And I'm like, you're telling me they that the races stop? Right. You're telling me there's three left? Right, like... Uh- 
look, Addie, you've got to you got to get more into football. That is the that's your only option. Otherwise, honestly, literally, this is literally exactly my thought. Is I mean, my fantasy team that I'm I'm in this ridiculous fantasy league with my friends from college. It's not a full league. We all have these insane teams. Normally, I'm great at it because there's eight of us, so I just get like incredible players. This year, disaster. Absolute mess. It's a horrible team. I'm like, Kirk Cousins was my starter, as I've complained about on the podcast. I'm like, I'm going to be a genius. I'm going to pick up CJ Stroud. That hasn't worked for me. (laughs) Right. That did not Um, turn out. So, I mean, even that, like, even my football passion, I'm like, it's like not doing it for me. I'm not playing well. Um, You know, I, I will say, I'm like, in on the Jets, baby. <laughs> uh, I don't have the Mets or Ferrari. I'm going to go with the next best thing. <laughs> I, I think at this point, so this is, so the Instagram algorithm started feeding me uh, clips from the Kelsey Brothers podcast. And now, oh my I God, Brit, same. And now I just watch it's- all of them when I see them because they're fucking delightful. So I well, I'll never I, listen to the podcast, but I'll never skip right, the clip. Right, I'm, ne- I'm never going to sit down and watch the entire thing, but I will watch every clip that shows up on my Instagram feed um, because I just find them delightful. And uh, I think I'm ending up with, God, I can't, I just, I, oh, I still have emotional baggage. I don't know if I can root for the Chiefs. I don't think I can do it. I mean, no, I, I'm not- I don't think I can do it, but Eagles fans are crazy. And I do sort of appreciate that, but also they broke. Those fans are nuts. They also broke Brock Purdy last year, so it's like this is very complicated for me. I don't really. Well, every other sport, I have a backup plan, right? Like I've got, I've right. got a couple, yeah. couple irons in the fire. Like I've got a plan B. I know where I'm pivoting. I got nothing. I got nothing with the NFL. I'm like, if just I, I am, I am too much of a hater to every other team. <laughs> That yeah, I know have I, no other options. Like the dolphins, I, I guess. Like, okay, that's first of all, grim. okay. Actually, let me make a case for you. Sorry, this is a podcast <laughs> where I talk about how my boyfriend converted me to his teams, I guess. Um Okay, lifelong Dolphins fan. And um, you know, he's a he's a man in his late twenties, as with two brothers, as you might imagine. They played a lot of Madden. They played it they like Charles Leclerc, they spent some time on the Xbox. Um, with with their brothers and Mike McDaniel is that Mike McDaniel is that he is no I I love Mike McDaniel I love him I love Mike McDaniel I love Raheem Moster like it is is the I love love Jalen Waddle I love Tua being not actually left-handed but throwing lefty as a lefty myself love that love that and, and it really is just Mike McDaniel, who, for one, has, like, a really beautiful, inspiring story about, like, how he's he got fired he's um, from an NFL job because he was, like, in active alcohol addiction for, like, 800 days. He wasn't in the league, got sober, got hired by the, by the Niners. Um, and he is a delight. He is a delight. He is pure joy. And Did, so even as a Jets fan, I'm like, I just I just want to see Mike McDaniel happy. Like, I, when they right. lost to the Eagles and he gave a sad press conference, I... Oh. That hurt me. Yeah. So you don't no, have to I, like the dog 
Titans, but root for Mike McDaniel. Well, and so this is the thing, right? I'm being being the the child of Floridians. My grandfather was a diehard Dolphins fan, despite the fact that he grew up in Philadelphia. Just like because of his age and the timing of the Beautiful. teams and stuff, he was a he was a Dolphins fan. Um, you know, and my family altered became Niners fans when we moved to California because it was like the it was the Steve Young. Uh, it was the Joe Montana, Steve Young stretch. So it was like hard to not get on that train, which is how I, you know, and I grew up here. So I ended up growing up a Niners fan, but uh, my late grandfather would absolutely support rooting for the Dolphins and would be, I think that's would be very all, pleased. Lovely. There's, and there's they're definitely fun. pictures of me as a child, like as a small child and like a Dolphins onesie. They're fun to watch because uh mike mcdaniel has built an incredibly fast team like i just love how speedy they are that that makes it fun it is it literally feels like it's like watching my boyfriend play madden i'm like what are they doing they're moving so fast that doesn't look real like it's no. so silly he, he um, knows how to run an offense man i did also see an amazing video of him that made me so that made me laugh so hard of him like with his hand fully in his sleeve and then like tucking like his his chin like into his hoodie and then like millennials in the like, halls of power <laughs> literally sneaking his vape up his sleeve and like taking a little sip and oh then like it, like literally i i am certain that he was not actually stoned i'm sure it was a tobacco vape but all the comments on the video were like this man is flying an nfl team like high as a kite <laughs> I, I, I am. I'm very. I'm like. I'm very happy for him that he got the job. But I am very bummed that he left San Francisco because he's totally. he's, a very, he's just such an intensely various sports figure <laughs> that way. So like, he's just. He's I love, but I love that he's had a Florida glow up too. Yeah. No. I like love he like grew up the hair a little bit. He got these big eighty like aviator sunglasses. Like he's loving being in Miami. He he also had the funniest reaction. There was um, a couple little kids who dressed up as him for Halloween, and like there were some videos <gasps> of him like do it doing the Mike McDaniel speed run off the field. And <laughs> during during one of his press conferences earlier, I think it was yeah, it must have been earlier this week. Um, one of the reporters asked him, like, what do you think about it? And he was like, I hadn't seen it. And he was like, there's no way. There's no way. Like, you're you're bullshitting me. I refuse to oh believe Like, he fully did not believe that he had done anything to have small children dressing up as him for Halloween. Aside, he, being, aside from being the most iconic character in the NFL all season. Right. So that, of course, in, in very, very nice fashion, he pivoted to like, look, if I've, if I've gotten any notoriety, it's because of this team and like how Aww. hard everybody in the locker room works and like how, how well they've executed. Like, it's not really anything I've done. I'm, like, Aw. I'm obsessed with imagining him giving pump up speeches to the team. It is sort of funny to think. It is really sort of funny to think about. It's so funny to think about. Go, Jesse, go. I'm really enjoying the other side of this coin with the Detroit Lions, which is uh, Dan Campbell, who I'm sure is a shorts guy, like in 40 degree weather. (laughs) Yes. 100% Um, he has that vibe. And that, like, if Mike McDaniel is hitting the vape, like, Dan Campbell is three five-hour energies deep. Uh, yep, yep. 
and uh. and that works for the situation and yeah like it's a there's you know a vibes based thing there too and like that's a team that like if you're looking for a plan b nobody doesn't like the lions because they never done shit to anybody right they, they've given no one any reason to be mad at them um the lions are an extremely forgettable team to me to be honest they are a little bit but I, so I will say though, uh, on the subject of five hour energy, I just have to share my favorite anecdote. I'm sure I probably told this story before, but uh, n- many years ago now, this is probably, I mean, it would have to be at least 10 years ago, probably more. Um, David Robertson was doing one of those like day in the life or whatever things with Jason, I think it was with Jason. <laughs> and uh, he was talking about, he's a, he's a fucking caffeine addict, unsurprising to everyone. And he was talking about how he would always go in. Yeah. So, so unlike a high leverage reliever to be a (laughs) caffeine fiend, they're all just kind of their goddamn. They're all, no, they really are. I, let me briefly interject on this point. I interviewed Trevor Hildenberger um, for my book after we interviewed him about um, a gem, friend of the pod. Absolute delight, Mm -hmm. true friend of the pod. Um, And he described his routine to me. Um, which was how many he's, involved? He's very superstitious and described one routine where you know they would do all these things particularly him and a fellow reliever I can't remember the name off the top of my head would have a fourth inning Red Bull which let's all just consider what time it is in right. the fourth like inning 8.30 at night or something it's like 8.30 at night and then if they go into extras, they have a second Red Bull in the 10th inning. That's, that's insane. That's insane. Like that haunted me for weeks after that's, he told me that. I literally terrible. was like waking up in the middle of the night. Like what time did they go to bed? Like what? Anyway, sorry. You're, but you're, just to bolster your point, there yeah. seems to be, I mean, high leverage relievers and Red Bull match made in heaven yeah no but so david robinson was talking about how one of his like pre-game routines or whatever he would go by the, like the neighborhood bodega and get a five-hour energy on his way to the oh field my god and then and then would like have a cup of coffee when he got there and whatever because i'm just oh like your heart god. your heart's gonna stop at some point dude but but the part that i love is that he was talking about how sometimes he gets carded when he goes to buy <gasps> the five-hour energy and this man is like, I mean, this was probably 2012-ish. So this man is in his late 20s, <laughs> pushing 30. I was going to say, this man is like 40 years old. <laughs> Correct. He's, he's, he's only a couple of years younger than I am. And this was, yeah, I mean, it was at least 10 years ago. I think it was a little bit more. So this man is like roughly 30 and is being carded. By the by, the man at the bodega to buy his five hour energy. Five hour energy, and it is just—it's one of my favorite stupid anecdotes because I just—it's so funny. There's a possible explanation in this in that David Robertson does have kind of a cop look to him. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's, that's that's true. That's being true. on the Yankees and like, yeah. Bodega guys, because a lot the a key feature of bodegas is uh, sort of a lax um, security uh, process. Right, unless, unless you right. look like a cop. 
Yeah. Well, and also genuinely, uh, he he looked about nineteen at that point. He does yeah. have so, like, he does have both a cop face and a baby face a little bit. Because I think those would probably have been like before he had kids or anything. Even I, either that or like his son was like his older, his oldest was just born. So like he hadn't been aged by children or anything yet at that point. Yeah. Uh, but I was on the on the other one other caffeine related anecdote. I I saw a clip of Adam Montavino. This this was an, a clip from way earlier this season, but I happened to see it. I think it was probably on my Instagram feed or something um they were doing one of those like question of the day things with the social team as people came into the uh, came into the, the clubhouse and he comes into the clubhouse and as he comes in like come in the, into like the hallway he is holding i think fully like four empty drink containers that he had clearly just gotten <gasps> out of his car Oh my god, that's so relatable. I'm like, Adam. Like, like this is girl dinner. I love it. I'm so Girl pleased. dinner. And it's totally, I'm like, I feel like this is evidence, one, of your caffeine problem, two, of the fact that you have two little kids. <laughs> and so this is definitely like, you went to the bodega to get a coffee or something, and the, ki- the girls were like, can I have something? And so they ended up with like, you know, a smoothie and a Odwalla or something and now it's in the back of the car and you're like okay shit I'm just I'm gonna get this while I'm on my way in and like emptying the car while he doesn't have his hands full of children (laughs) beautiful my car was pristine until children happened and right I mean um, kids just bring once they start barking in the backseat it's over yeah just shit everywhere doesn't matter anymore than barf yeah yeah Yeah. exactly but it was just very, I'm like, oh, I'm like, this is, this is both uh, excellent allyship and also like, yeah, this is, this is such a dad vibe. Um, I, I'm sorry. I don't know how to make this transition, but we, we have to touch on it. So here's how I'm going to try. Speaking of dads in sports, how about Checo fucking Perez crashing on the first turn? Oh my God. Ooh. Like that, that sure did happen. I literally was like that, like, that's not real. Like that was like, that was, that was simultaneously most annoying and most chaotic possible thing to happen at that point. 100%. 100%. If he had, because, okay, let's all just, let's all just remember what happened here briefly. Charles on Miracle Pole. The interview of them asking Charles, like the interview when he gets pole, they go, "Did you know? Did you guys expect to be like competing for pole here?" Charles literally goes, makes like a makes like a full like what like a face. What what what? What what what? He's like he's like I I I don't want to say no, but I also don't want to lie, so I'm like, just gonna like. But like, but but the thing is, he has, he has reached new levels of, you know, there's that clip that everyone has been passing around of, oh, I, I don't, I don't think I stopped thinking earlier this year. Or like, I don't, like, no, he's, he's done. Just like, he's, he's checked done. out. He's checked out. He's checked out. <laughs> he's checked out. But I think that's part of why he's getting random polls is that like, I think he's kind of out of his head a little bit in a way where it's just like, whatever, like, I'm just going to drive this fucking car. Like, I'm going to do my best. Like. And no, he's, totally. 
he's like killing it. Meanwhile, Carlos, fuck that guy, <laughs> is um, is two. Just kidding. I love him. I love him very much. Um, is two for our lockout shocker, and then Max, and then Daniel Ricardo in an Alpha Tari P4 out qualifying Checo Perez P5, which is. I- I am fucking ecstatic for Danny. Like, I am... Oh, my God. I'm actually so... It's so amazing because I'm going to be honest. I was like, he doesn't... I was getting to the point where I was like, it's actually really fucking annoying that, like, Daniel Ricciardo is the one who's totally going to get this job when he has raced in, like, two races, then broke his hand, then fucked off and has, like... Right. And yet he's still the guy that we all think deserves this job and is going to get it. Honest to God... I was like, okay, like he put the AlphaTauri ahead of Sergio in the goddamn Red Bull. That's amazing. Right. Like, come on, that AlphaTauri is like a little bit of a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, and the McLarens. So like, and the McLarens, unreal. So all of this makes the start even weirder. Checo in P5, all of a sudden turning into Charles. Like, I was just like, where, like, how did this happen? First of all, Max Verstappen, I've swung back. I hate him. I'm so over it. Why is he so fucking good at this? It's so annoying. Like, every start, I'm I'm like, why is he better at this? It's so annoying. I'm tired of it. Out of DRS before DRS kicks in. Like, he's already too far away. We'll say credit to the broadcast they have they have figured out what i was complaining about for like a huge chunk they of don't the show beginning. him at all whatever like they show no. the start and then once he does his shit they're like wh- every so often they're like and max leads by 14 seconds anyway yeah. and then they go back to the like you know the the race for like the rest of the podium spots or like the race to get into that yeah. point which is like where all the interesting shit is happening that's well, logan yeah, Lance and Logan, my God. Jesus I mean, what's, what's crazy? And I mean, then the start the start just blew my mind. It's like Carlos appears to like disappear off the map. Like what happens? <laughs> like, like where did he go? Absolutely Daniel smart. Ricardo Daniel Ricardo has a, a fine start, but Perez, I mean, uh, he said, if you see a gap and you don't take it, you're not a race car driver anymore. And he went for it. And I, I've honestly never loved him more. I think if he had actually like, like fucked Charles's car in a way where Charles couldn't like finish the race, I'd be having a very different conversation right now. But like in that moment, I was like, Oh my God, I love him. Like he went for it. He sent it. And I respected that so much. I think that's also, that whole incident was a really good example of the fact that these guys are having to make decisions in like a nanosecond about this stuff because it's, it was really easy to look at it on TV and be like, I don't like, where did you think that you were going to go? Like Charles couldn't go to the inside anymore because Max was right there. Like there was not actually a gap there. Like it didn't, wasn't going to work. And it's so easy to look at it on TV and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, but the reality is, it's like, yeah, like, it looked like maybe there would be a gap there. And if Max had been slightly further ahead or slightly further back, there probably would have there been. There might have been a gap Charles, there. Charles could have, 
Charles could have gone to the inside or gone. Yeah. Yeah. Charles could have, could have given him a lane. Um, but there was nowhere for Charles to go. Like he was, he well, was sandwiched. And the only place that anybody was going to go was Chaco was going to have to go off. Like hundred percent. Well, I mean, the, the, the other thing I just love about it is obviously Mexican fans were like, pissed at this and as i think we all know and frankly as i'm sure many of them knew it wasn't charles's fault like it it was it was like what like but i love i mean but obviously they're pissed off at him like i too would probably boo someone if in such an incident at my favorite driver's home race like and i formula one fans are even more annoying than baseball fans about booing like the way that formula one fans are like i would never deign to boo a driver i'm like are you kidding me european oh my god like chill the fuck out like it's so ridiculous I don't like, and then even Max Verstappen, they're like, Max, you look, how did you feel about being booed? And he's like, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm the right. winningest winner of all time. Like, fuck off. Right. I'm sorry. But, you expect Max Verstappen to have an emotion about someone else's right. opinions? Like, come on. Are you new here? And I'm sorry. Like, no, right. But, but, but Charles, but Charles, <laughs> Charles responds to the booze in his interview. He says, there's a lot of booing. Where did you want me to go? <laughs> right. Nobody else would give a shit, but Charles is the one who's like, no, I have to I have to explain myself. I don't want you to be mad at me. He's like, like don't oh, be mad God. at me. What do you want me to do? Just I could it was so funny. I love that he acknowledged it. I was like, that is my anxiously attached just, baby boy right oh there. Oh my God, right? Just God bless. There's a short trip from there to to the NASCAR vibe that I love, which is, you know, what the fuck do you want me to do? <laughs> right. Wreck yourself. That ain't my fault. Hundred percent. Don't like a drop Yeah. It seems like a they went proto racing. Right. Oh my god. Um, it is very funny I, though. I want to come back to just this Charles quote about uh, about Senna. Um, to sort of help bring us home because I I really love this and we didn't get to it before and and here we are there are several reasons for me to be a fan of him his rhythm, his overtaking how brave he was there was something very special about him of course he was special in the car, it's obvious to see but there was also something very special about it outside the car, a kind of aura and I oh my god that's, that's what we're all looking for here yeah And that's Charles, to me. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I think think that's part of why even, even like, the circumstances of Senna's death are very much like that. Like, the fact that he, you know, before the race, he and a couple of other drivers were like, this is not safe. Like, somebody's going to get hurt. This is not okay. Like, and, you know, got blown off, as you do, by the FIA. And then r- raced anyway, knowing that they had, they had these concerns that they were like, this is dangerous. And then here we go. But it's it's because he had the guts to be like, this is not okay. Uh, that, you know, they were able to not unionize, but like the drivers have a driver's association now and like have more involvement with the FIA and have more 
more of a say in those those moments than they ever used to that it's just like you know i don't i don't know if that would have come out of his death the same way if preceding that hadn't been the conversations about like this isn't mm. like i'm like i'm gonna speak up and say this is not okay i know i know that my voice carries weight so i'm gonna say something I just, yeah, that quote is so beautiful, Jesse. I and I love, you know, Britt. You're so right. It's like I, I do think there's clearly a sense that Charles carries that he knows that Senna carried. Like I think you can kind of tell that in that that like part of the love is his bravery. Like I think that's there's a lot of there's a lot to what that means in in that context and. You know, I think I love it, too, that Charles can articulate that part of fandom and idolization is an intangible thing. That's kind of been the theme that's emerging from our conversation today is that, like, there is an intangibility to great sports players or teams or moments that is that cannot be reflected on paper that you can feel with Charles that Charles clearly can feel in his own love for racing for Senna for Ferrari like we've talked about it a million times the way that Charles is Charles is a Ferrari fan right who i who, like idolized his team and they put him in that car and I mean, I want to see him win in a Ferrari. I want to see him win in a fucking Ferrari in Monaco. And right. I want it to be right. next year. I want, And you know what? The other thing I'm having that's very post-World Series-y, I'm actually not really having it with the Mets, I think, because the energy is swirling at Ferrari in a way that, like, with the Mets, I'm like, I don't fucking know what's going to happen with those freaks. Like, we will just <laughs> see. We will see what happens next year. Right. With Ferrari, I'm like... I'm, I'm like that's becoming my like delusional place. I'm like, they really did get their shit together at the end, and Charles has really been putting it on pole, and maybe they can just get the car right, and maybe they can battle Red Bull for a constructors. Like I'm getting Delulu about next season already. I'm like Charles is going to win a World Drivers Championship. I'm ready for it. I mean, but this is the thing, right? I think there is no reason to be a sports fan if you can't go into a season like that. Yeah, like what's the point? If you can't delude yourself a little bit going in to think like, this is the year, why are you here? Like, go do something else with your time. I will say with the Mets, again, I don't really feel that, but I feel a version that is more mindful let's say (laughs) I'm like I'm like you know what I don't know what the Mets will do next year but I'm willing to find out I'm willing to I'm willing to be curious I'm willing to be open-minded am I hopeful no am I intrigued sure Ferrari I'm like dude I'm I'm Delulu 
Right. And I think that's that's a really good like distinction because, yeah, I think sometimes you go into it and you're like, well, anything can happen and you're not really like expecting it, but you're open to the possibility. But Charles' aura is just really strong for me right now. Like that's... I think it, it might not be contending for a championship necessarily, but like you have to go into it with an expectation that something that you're hoping for will be fulfilled. Like, right. I cannot go into a Knicks season being like, well, it's championship or bust. Right. All I ever want for the Knicks is to bust their ass and to make it one step farther than everybody thinks that they were going to. Whether no, that's and- making playoffs, winning around, whatever. And honestly, as a Niners fan right now, I don't recommend going into the season being like it's a championship or bust because uh, I had the conversation with a friend of mine who is also a diehard Niners fan before the season even started. And we were both like, if they don't want to win a Super Bowl this year, I'm going to walk into traffic. Uh, and it's not good right now. It's been a bad couple weeks. No, right, dude. <laughs> I mean, that was how I felt about the Mets last last season it's, like the 2022 season like sometimes you're gonna have years like that but it's just yeah. a rough place to be because it gives no, you like, nowhere it's to actually go. Like, it gives you not good it gives you nowhere to go like yeah and and my partner kept saying that to me last year i kept you know i mean but i'm gonna be honest for a little while there it felt like those mets were gonna win the world series right. like it, it okay. felt it felt fucking crazy they were having those miracle games those like defining vibes perfect vibe moments every other week like it was magical and and I kept saying to my boyfriend I I was really of two minds I I was writing for Willits Penn a lot being like I'm just living in the moment baby it feels so good to watch good baseball every night like woohoo like and behind closed doors, I was like, if the Mets don't win the World Series, I'm going to walk into traffic. Like, I, you know, like, I needed it. And it hurt so bad to watch yeah. it crumble. And we saw it coming. Like, we all saw it coming. And it hurt so bad. And I actually hit a point like that with Charles over the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. where these polls. I've really been like, I need him to win. I need him to win. And I'm like doing witchcraft during the red flag. Like, <laughs> I'm begging the universe. And oh the universe God, is right? like, the universe is like, sorry, I'm strong, but Adrian Newey is stronger. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> right. Oh, and it hurt. God. It hurt. It hurt. When and I guess put on yeah. that new set of tires because of the red flag. Like, fuck. I was like, over. No, stunned. I will say, though, to, to contradict myself oh, all of 45 seconds ago, um, I think there's something nice about it at the same time, though. Like, I think there's something, like, like the intensity of that conviction, I think, can be really nice. And, I, and sometimes that is what sports is about, is... Being really, really convinced that this bunch of idiots who you don't know <laughs> is going to pull something off that is a little bit miraculous. Because even when a good team wins a championship, it's a little bit miraculous because it requires 
everything to break the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right, and, so and, and I will... The... Oh, go, Jesse, go. No, please go ahead, because my, my thing is what I want to wrap up with. Okay, well, all I was going to say is I, I've been thinking about that with the playoffs, right? Like, and, and part of what Tommy Pham said of, like, the Mets were better. That I think at least with the baseball playoffs, you have to have a little bit of an awareness that they're that they're a different thing. They're not actually out to determine the best team. And they're they're out to be kind of like a to me at least, when the Mets win the World Series someday, I'm gonna take all this back and be like, they're the best team in baseball and the, whatever. But to me, the playoffs are a little bit more of like a capsule experience of heightened baseball in a way that's really For sure. interesting. It's about like who gets lucky at the right time, who has healthy players at the right time, who can put because because even a great team, like I I fucking hate the Braves, but I think we can all agree they were a great team this year. Like they were they were a great baseball team, and they couldn't put it together in this little capsule experience of baseball, and that's fascinating. And I think that that kind of approach to baseball more and more. That's that's what's magical about baseball to me is kind of almost this like meditative, mindful experience. There's so much of it. It's so it's so easy to kind of like let it pass by you until it's gone. And with Formula One, I you know I think back to this conversation that we had um, many moons ago with Claire, the the NBA writer whose last name I am forgetting. We talked about Kevin Durant tweets, and I was Brilliant. like, you know, there's. Yes, and there's, um, you know, this real, I was talking about how that feeling of baseball, of the build and the build and the build and how it's just this such, this like deeply emotional, slow burn journey. And I was like, you know, I, I, I don't know if like NFL does it in the same way. And you guys were like, you're insane. Like you, NFL is like a whole, it's like, it's there in a totally different way. And all of a sudden I went, oh my God, that's, that's Formula One. Like the way that it's this once a week event that I'm thinking about all week that's like building in its own way. It's very, very different than baseball. And I don't know how to apply that like mindful experience I've developed with baseball to Formula One. Maybe you can't. Yeah. Maybe that's the joy of it. They're driving a car 200 miles an hour. Like maybe there is no equanimous experience of that sport. <laughs> no, well, I mean, yeah, and, and the I don't. It's even shorter on the actual time that it takes. Yeah. And I. Yeah. I, as somebody who is also a huge football fan, I don't, it's just different. Like I've, ne I've never, I've never been able to find the same level of Zen <laughs> with football that I can right. achieve with baseball because I think you, and I think you just can't because the outcome of every individual event is so extreme. Like it is, yeah. it is so large a percentage of your total outcome for this season. Even more so in the NFL than Formula One. Right. I mean, you're talking about, you know, with college football versus Formula One, you're talking, you know, somewhere between 12 and 20 odd events in a year compared to 162 baseball games plus yeah. the postseason. Like you can't get that emotionally invested in the outcome of any one individual baseball game because nobody has the emotional capacity for that. It is too many days a week for too long. Yeah. Well, and it's, that's one of the great, like a lot of, a lot of what my book is about and a lot of what I feel deeply about baseball and a lot of what I think, you know, we all feel at Willett's pen in a way that even as we move beyond baseball, there's kind of, I think a, this like guiding principle that, 
baseball is a perfect teacher to me. There's no, there's no sport that I think is so instructive. It's, it's cliche that like baseball is life, but it is. It, it like really very much is, you know, the way that it teaches us to learn, to be okay with failing to like celebrate success in these like small ways to like fucking strike out four times and wake up the next day and go play baseball again and see what happens and yeah it's it's true as a fan it's true as a player it's I think the the deepest instruction for for life in that way and I guess the argument as I'm saying this that I would make for Formula One is its instruction for us in life is that like it's too short not to go fucking crazy like <laughs> once a week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I think that's that I think is kind of what Formula One has brought back like has brought to my sports fandom in a year that baseball hasn't served my soul um, ironically as I write a book about the way that baseball serves our souls um, it's been Formula One where it's like there's something to look forward to. Like life is fun. Like life is meant to be lived. Like human beings are meant to evolve and develop the perfect car and put 20 of our hottest specimens in them and send them down the road as fast as we possibly can. And if we did that 162 times a year, we would have a mass extinction. Like we could right. not we handle would that. Die. And so we microdose on it. Like once a week, like we go, okay, like let's fucking do it for two hours. Let's send our fastest, cutest boys out there, two inches off the ground, like, and let's fucking see. And it's such a beautiful instruction that like life is fun. Like life is meant to be live fast die young as they say oh wow i'm sorry that's a dark thing to say when we've had a lot of senna yeah. conversation today no but i love that it is ultimately true and and i love that and you know i think that what i wanted to to bring us home with is this idea that baseball and formula one can can interconnect and it was actually what i texted you guys about the other day uh, when the World Series was still going on um, and then we've talked about the World Series a bit but to go back to game four there was so much complaining about the bullpen game and like this is the New York Times was like this is unseemly for the World Series like what do you expect when the Arizona Diamondbacks a mediocre team are in the World Series as a result of the way that the baseball playoffs are constructed, which is now that more than a third of the teams in the league get into the playoffs and they play short series against each other. Like, the Diamondbacks didn't run a bullpen game out there because they thought, oh, this is a cheeky time to do this. They did it because they were out of fucking starting pitchers and thought, this is the best way that we have to possibly win this game and get back in the series. And yeah. to me, what that's like is, you know, how is that any different from a, a, a pit strategy call that like, if, if somehow, you know, Red Bull would have been the Braves in this or, you know, whatever. So you wind up with like, <laughs> McLaren, I just myself. <laughs> Sadie's Rangers against the Williams Diamondbacks. 
Bruh. is going to need to try to pull some fancy shit. Or the Alpine Diamondbacks, because they're even more forgettable most no, of the time. No, but Williams That's is so true. Uh, at, least, at least we yeah. think about Williams. So Williams is the perfect comp, though, because remember, Alex Albon did that entire race on one set of tires. Bro. Which is which is very it is spiritually it's very like, well, we're gonna have a bullpen game in the fucking bullpen game. series. Once one set of tires a hundred percent is bullpen game vibes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's like a beautiful I you know, I think that that, that they both <laughs> and, and then let's even just draw this out further. It would be like Esteban Ocon. Um, like setting the fastest lap for like 70 laps in a row and then like George just like overtaking him at the 71st. And... <laughs> well, and I, to, to circle all the way back to our Jacob deGrom conversation too, it's a reminder that this game is played by humans. Yeah. So yeah, People get hurt. People don't perform the way you want them to. And you've got to adapt. And sometimes that means you've got a bullpen game in the World Series. And no, I don't, you shouldn't construct a team to do that. Like, that's not great. Not that teams don't, but you shouldn't plan on that. But sometimes that's going to be what happens. Sometimes you've got three starters on the IL or, you know, the dude that you thought was going to give you meaningful innings just doesn't have it. And... Or you drive for Ferrari. Or you drive for Ferrari. And you, it, you all you could do is is do the best you can with what you've got. Yeah. You had to designate a calf roper for assignments in April. Right. right. I, I would just like to say congratulations to uh, four-time world champion Madison Mumgarter. Okay, King. No, they, he, he's not. Wait, how? What do you mean, How? Four-time world champion Madison Bumgarner. Correct. Oh, eh, okay. I did the math wrong. Whatever. Three, three, <laughs> three, three and a pennant. Four-time World Series appearance. Three and a pennant. Three and a pennant, as they say. For Charles, it's nine wins and eleven pulls he lost. <laughs> oh my God! I saw a headline this morning. Wait, wait, wait. Because I thought for a second that maybe Bumgarner had, like, signed with the Rangers and briefly been with them after no, getting DFA. Like, I, I wouldn't I just, believe that. Like, the shot to come back. I just immediately forgot the outcome of the game last night, apparently. Oh, my God. I might, I'm, like, actually kind of obsessed with that. You know? It's, like, it's sort knows? of perfect. It's sort of perfect. Um, but I, I just... Okay, I... Oh, go. Sorry. I would say, I did, I did see a headline this morning, and we can... can tie things in a bow with this uh that uh the mexico grand prix was i think it was like the sixth charles leclerc poll in a row that max verstappen had turned into a win it's oh, actually so painful it's so painful oh. like, just oh. so yeah be aware of your own mortality because even when you make poll you're probably going to lose to max verstappen I feel like I need him to be less aware of that. Like, I feel like that's part of the problem is that you know that Charles knows that. Oh, 100%. 100%. He's aware Poor of his kid. mortality and also the reality of what's going to happen even when he has Paul. <laughs> All right. Let's do, let's do quick, quick predictions. Brazil Grand Prix this weekend. 
sprint race. Those weekends are always chaotic. And for some reason, those are always the weekends that Charles gets pulled. Although sure Mexico do. wasn't, but yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I think Charles gets pulled and Max fucking wins again. <laughs> yeah, it's believable. Um, I, yeah. I will say I I think we're gonna see another another good Jan Ricardo moment. I think Whoa. he's yeah okay. I think he's figured out that shit ass car and uh, he's powered up. He's got it. He's, he's ready to. He's, he's in ready a group. to like really put the final nail in the coffin. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got Liam Lawson dead to rights. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Liam. Sorry, buddy. Echo. Uh, I think. Uh... I'll go for the sprint. I, I think Lewis wins the sprint. I think <gasps> somehow. All right. Like he's been. He's looked good out there. He's been he's close. Good. And, and he's got that new um, alcohol-free tequila brand, which I'm God. like. Which like you know, you know, you guys, you guys have seen the video before, like weeks before it dropped, where he like brings the glass to the <laughs> interview and like yes. mid-interview he has a sip and he goes. Oh, so good. Like, <laughs> like okay. swallowing that blue agave, whatever it's called. Like, and if that, and yeah. I think that's going to power him up. I think it's a good prediction, Jesse. <laughs> or, you know, just Max sweeps everything, as always. Yeah, it, yeah, that's yeah. That's not even a prediction at this point, though. That's just, just is. Yeah. That's why All we right, have our guys. I love you all. This was fun. I feel like I feel like we are the we are the we deserve the Pulitzer Prize for weaving beautiful conversations about <laughs> baseball in F one. I can't believe that hasn't been announced yet. We'll get that. We'll get that submitted as we uh, launch CasualDieHard.com. If you've heard this the episode, um, don't go to CasualDieHard.com yet because I haven't done a, a darn thing other than by the URL for us. But that's where we're headed. Uh, so that we can uh, not have to explain that we're named after a subway station to in Queens to talk about F one. Yeah, it's like it's it's odd What's that that doesn't. Night? It's odd that that doesn't. Uh, that's not the immediate knowledge that people have, as we all do. But that's okay. Yeah. Well, Will's pen will stay our baseball arm. Uh, nothing is changing that way. Um, no, I don't. Everything is changing. Um, everything is changing all the time. We're change all around us, uh, except uh, for our love for all the all the love that we have from Charles to the Mets to the 49ers to Ferrari I mean, to talk about a beautiful life lesson. Yeah. Everything is changing except for love. Everything Aww. is changing except for love. That's some deep shit. That is some deep shit. <laughs>